Thanks for tuning in to the Westbridge Church Podcast, where our mission is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ. We'd love for you to check out our website, westbridgedanville.com, for additional resources. Here's today's message by Pastor John McDougall. Thank you, Wes, and worship team, and good morning, church family. It's good to be with you today. Excited to wrap up our core work message series today, and as Wes mentioned, over the past four weeks, we've been looking at the four categories of trial that we we see emerging in Scripture, each with a unique reflex that God has given us. And what a gift to know that, that when these trials come our way, as they will come, that He has left us with the revelation, the insight that we need not to be crushed by the trial, but rather to reflex. And that's, we're talking about that core of our spiritual being so that we reflex in a way that we actually are transformed through the trial and propelled in our life mission to, uh, to live that out for God's glory. And so we have, hopefully on your seat, you found one of these little uh, summary docs or sheets, we'll call it a cheat sheet. Life hack that when the trial comes, you can pull this up and remind you of these four categories. We, uh, we had the testing in James chapter one and that reflex, consider it pure joy knowing God is at work maturing us. And then the pruning, when God takes a good thing out of our life to help us focus on a better thing. And John 15 being that, that, uh, text that we looked at, we looked at the Father's discipline. We know that, um, we will never if you are in Christ, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, God does not punish us. That Christ took our punishment on the cross. But if we are headed for a, a doing something, a, a sin that will hurt us, hurt God, hurt those around us, as a loving father, he will discipline us. And Hebrews chapter 12 was that text. And so we submit to his discipline, knowing that he's at work and strengthening us in that area. But then this uh, last week, Pastor Kyle took us into the evil day portion. And, and there's a lot of mystery around this part of trial, but it's a very real part of following Christ. And, and man, that text, if you were not here last week, I encourage you to, to pick that message up. Listen to that again. I know God used it in my heart. Um, Job, as well as Ephesians 6, were the, the, uh, the text that we, we look to to reflex. As I was thinking about um, this series that we're in and these categories of trial, the reflexes God has given us, it, it left me just so thankful for, for his work in our lives. And aren't you thankful that when you look back on your life, that you'll be able to say, hey, this season was hard. This was not something that I wish, wished would have happened or would have ever chosen. And yet I see God's hand at work in it. It was there that, that he was growing my faith fortifying my will, shaping my character to be more like Christ. We'll be able to look back and say, you know, he closed a door that was really hard to, to see closed, but then he opened the better door for me. He freed me from an idol that I was serving and worshiping that was taking, putting me in slavery rather than leading me into freedom. He strengthened my feeble arms and my weak knees, as, as that Hebrews 12 text talks about, and helped me step into my life mission. He extracted my pride through a trial, infused humility and a teachableness that, that has served me through life. 
He's increased my capacity to care. He's expanded my soul with compassion and the ability to love and to fill things that I, I didn't feel before through this trial. And then to get to that point where, where you can say, so that I have become a witness to his goodness, to his faithfulness, to who he is. Not because it's like I'm trying to be a witness. It's because it's who I, am, I now am. He is good. I've experienced it. He is faithful. I've experienced it. He is at work in my life through these things. I've experienced it. So this week, we come to the last section, and, and there's not a category of trial, thankfully, that we're looking at today. By the way, thanks for hanging with this series. I was so excited to share this at the start, and then I realized this is kind of a bummer of the way to start 2024. <laughs> like, get ready for, for trials to come, but it's good. We, we need it. But today, we're, we're coming to a, the final message, which I think is just as important as the, the previous four but what, the picture that came to my mind as I was thinking about today's truth, but also life, is a whitewater rafting trip. So on a whitewater rafting trip, you have the rapids sections, and hopefully there's lots of good, you know, challenging rapids when, when you go on one of these trips. But they're relatively short, aren't they, the whitewater? Most of the whitewater rafting trip is cruising along this beautiful river, just chilling on the current, just going with your friends, talking, enjoying the sunshine, and, and you're just getting ready for the next rapids. But most of the time, we're on the placid. We're in shalom. We're on peace. And I thought, that's, if we're honest, and as a follower of Christ, that's life, isn't it? Yes, we have those sections of trial, but most of life is lived on the, the placid. Peaceful, just cruising with the current of life, enjoying the blessings of God. We call this the blessing season of life. Times you just pull the paddle in and, hey, you can just kick back and go. But here's the thing. It's in the blessing seasons of life we face what may be our biggest threat to our soul. And it's a threat that our Lord awakens us to in this text. He gives us a reflex for those seasons of blessing so that we can stay on track with him and, and live out our life mission. So the text is Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22 is where we'll be. I'll read through the text, and then we'll, we'll uh, break it down. We'll look at the reflex and, and walk our way through it. So this is in Revelation. Jesus is speaking to the churches. This is his last word to the church. And we pick it up. The last church that he talks to is, uh, is the, it says, to the, verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, speaking of Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. As we, uh, just to pause right here to, to uh, give a little historical context around Laodicea, this church would remind you a lot of, or the culture in which they live, a lot of the culture in which we live. It's a culture that was marked by great affluence. This is one of the most prosperous cities in the Roman Empire in the first century. They were, uh, in fact, one time a huge uh, earthquake rocked the city and created all kinds of destruction in it. Rome, the government, said, hey, we will help bail you out financially. They actually, historians tell us, said, nope, we're good. We don't need the, uh, the help. We can rebuild ourselves. We know they were a financial center of the day. Money was plentiful. They were a banking center, financial institutions all over the place. They were also a uh, uh, prosperous textile, uh, a textile business was going on. They had a rare kind of sheep with a type of wool that the ladies liked the clothes that came out of this area of the 
the country. And so the sh- this was the place to shop and export was happening. There, it's interesting too, and as you listen to Jesus' words to them, he'll, re- he'll reference this a little bit. They were also a medical center of the day. And they had developed a unique salve that would go in the ears as well as the eyes to create healing. They uh, did not just have medical or like hospitals, but they had actual medical schools. It was a training center for doctors and, and the nurses. And so it's in this, uh, if, if you were in Laodicea, similar to, I feel like where we're at as a culture, life is pretty good. It, it's good here. We're, we're um, all is good. And yet with this goodness, with this affluence, this blessing comes the threat. So Jesus says there in verse 15, he says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. So money here was the, we, the issue for them. They had plenty. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, verse 19, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit on my throne, with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Several weeks ago, I was... uh, just normal day listening to podcast while working out and a pastor from Texas, his name is Nathan uh, Lino. I'd never heard of him, but he, he gave a message on this text and God used it just to hit me in a very powerful way where I'm at and um, to check me up. And I, this week I've studied out this text on my own and work through a variety of commentators and what have you. And I believe God has a unique message for us today as a church, but I just wanted to give credit to Nathan. Um, much of what he said brought illumination as well as he brought it. God used his message to bring it home to my heart. So if this message helps you as always, thank the Lord first, but then thank Nathan, <laughs> this faithful pastor in Texas that we'll unpack the text and then I'll give the reflex that, that God gives us for these seasons of blessing that flows out of, of this, this truth. First, our Lord begins by awakening us to a symptom of our soul, a symptom of, of a lack of health in our soul. And we see it there in verses 15 and 16 where he says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were one or the other so, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And so the first, uh, the symptom here is lukewarm or a complacency in our devotion to the Lord. A cold indifference to the, the things of God. And we read this and we hear him, all the other churches that he's talked to previously, he, he gives them an attaboy in, in some area. But the church of Laodicea, he doesn't because all of their deeds are, are tainted by this uh, just this blanket of complacency. We ask ourselves, why the, 
like why the, uh, he ramps up the verbiage. This is strong language. And it, it's, you say, why, why does he do this? I think it's to wake them up to a situation of their heart, which they, they're not seeing right now. It's a blind spot in their lives. In their devotion to him, they've become complacent. Just kind of going through the motions, um, doing what they need to do, but not with a heart that's passionate and zealous and on fire with the love for him, their worship, you know, is, is it's, it's mediocre or it's uh, just kind of indifferent to who he is. Their love for him has grown cold. Their love for each other, their devotion to the body and the body of Christ and, um, has grown cold. Their passion for the things of God in terms of reaching people who are far from him and the mission and seeking to take the gospel and share it with people who don't have hope has grown cold lukewarm their uh their devotion and hunger to know him in his word and to pray and talk with him throughout the day their desire to to live those acts of service that he he created us to live and and to serve him well to hear well done has grown lukewarm and so we see this though is a symptom it's not the real issue we and so we we ask why why are they complacent? And we ask that of our own hearts, don't we? We feel that, the blanket of complacency. And it's interesting that, that this is not actually the core issue of what our Lord addresses here. That this, The sin at the heart of complacency is what's the issue and what comes next in verse 17. He says, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. And so the threat, so you have the the symptom is complacency, but the threat is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency that's relying on the gifts of God to satisfy and secure our lives rather than relying exclusively on Him to do that. For them, we know it was money. Um, it was the affluence that they have been blessed with. And they, say, they said, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a, need a thing. We're all good here. We, um, I'm set. You know, my bank account is good. Future's good. I'm okay. For us, it may be money. I think that's one of the things um, we, all of us probably struggle with at some point. But it can be many things, can it, that we look to to satisfy and to secure our lives. And it's not that these people were bad people, you know, or, or uh, intentionally seeking to become lukewarm it's something that just kind of happens doesn't it you feel that it uh and it's not that we stop trusting christ or seeking to follow him but it's it becomes him plus this other thing that i'm looking to to satisfy my heart and to secure my life thinking about that i just uh, i know i think one of the reasons uh, Nathan's message really hit me hard was I feel that in, in my life. And have you felt that? Do you feel it? <clears throat> Where God gives us these <clears throat> wonderful gifts and we, things we've been praying for and working for and, and pursuing. And, and he gives us these gifts in our life. And we come into this season of blessing and it's like, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. And yet in the midst of the blessing, that subtle shift can happen where all of a sudden, what am I thinking about all the time? <laughs> is it him and things of him, or is it this, these gifts? And often it becomes like, I got to hang on to this gift. 
And we start to fear even the trial that's coming, because what if the trial takes the gift? It's like, what, what's the treasure truly? Is it this gift, or is it the one who gave me the gift, the one who's in this boat with me, and, and yet it happens, and, and all of a sudden my soul becomes frustrated and, and fearful and, and complacent in the things of, the things of God. And so what's the remedy? <clears throat> How do we move through this? And what's the answer to this problem? And love this. This is the reflex in this text and the treasure of this text. Verse 17, the second part of it, one is it's seeing ourselves as we really are. He says, uh, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Five words just to wake them up to think about all the things that money can't buy or whatever it is we're looking to to satisfy us, cannot secure. Apart from Christ, we are this. But then he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. We know gold in scripture, it's a symbol of, often a symbol of faith, but it's true, true riches so that you can become rich. And white clothes is often referred to as the clothing of, of good virtue or character, the character of Christ that may be in view here, but so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see, so that you can truly see reality. But then here's the, the reflex. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. And so the, the reflex is simply this. Repent of self-reliance. Rely on him exclusively. Repent of self-reliance and rely on him exclusively. God's calling to us today through his word is to take a look at our hearts and to repent of those areas that, that we are relying on ourself or seeking to secure our satisfaction and our security in, in things other than him. His calling to us is a, to their, it's interesting to Laodicea, their church family, but also to our church family today is to return to that sweet spot of exclusive dependence on Christ for all that we need. You say, well, what does it mean to repent? And remember, repentance is a change of mind. Metanoia is the word, but it's that idea of turning from something and turning to something. And so what are we turning from? And, and re- to repent, it, it's that idea of seeing ourselves as we truly are apart from Christ, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It, those words just check Man, they checked me out. Do they? Do you feel that? Just the. It's powerful, but it's it's remembering we're not just this, but rather he's saying, "Buy for me gold and clothing and salve that you can put on your eyes." Like he holds it, seeing he holds what we truly need for life. But then it's also remembering that he says there in verse nineteen, "I love you, I love you." So we come to repentance. It's a reminder that this isn't a a vindictive punishment at all that God is even having these harsh words, but rather it's because he loves us. He says, I, I, I discipline those and, and rebuke those that I love. So be earnest and repent. It's interesting, he calls us to a repentance that's uh, to be passionate. When he says earnest, it's with, it's with zeal. So it's like, turn to me with everything you've got. Um, let it be a, a passionate repentance so it's a turning from being self-reliant, but here's where it gets good. It's a turning to him and to rely on him exclusively. You say, well, how? 
How do, how, what's this look like to turn to him and rely on him exclusively? And this is where we're about to step onto some holy ground in scripture. And this morning, um, yeah, this is, this is huge. God opens a portal to reality here that um, it's hard for us to fully absorb, but it's real and it's a gift. And it's verse 20. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Often this picture has been used of salvation, of opening our door to receive the gift of salvation through faith in Christ. And you can do that, but that's not the context here. He's not talking to people who are not Christians. He's talking to the church. This is not a a coming in to save them. It's a coming in to be with them. He is coming in to manifest his presence to us in a very real way, in an experiential way. The giver of all good gifts is promising the best gift of all, and it's the gift of himself, his joy, his peace, the wonder of the living God coming to be with us, that we might know him and experience him, walk with him. So what's the problem with self-reliance? In self-reliance, we push Christ outside of our life, outside of our family, outside of our church family, so that he is on the outside and he is knocking. And I love this picture in that our Lord doesn't just say, okay, you've pushed me out, I'm going to walk away. He stays in his goodness, in his grace, in his mercy. He stays with us. But he's on the outside, and I pictured this morning, imagine we gather to worship him, and yet in our self-reliance, we can do this. We're good enough. We're, our experience, our money, we, we don't really need him. We do, but we don't. He is on the door, and he's out there knocking. Same with our lives, with our hearts. And what we don't realize is we're pitiful, we're poor, we're wretched. We can do nothing. We can't bring breath into these lungs. We can't let blood flow through our veins apart from him physically, but spiritually it's the same. And yet here he's saying, I haven't left you. I'm knocking on the door. And if you will open the door, if you will, you say, how do we open the door? It's saying, Lord, I want you alone, you exclusively. I run from these other things. I repent from these other things. You alone are what I want and what I rely on. He comes in. The living God comes in and dwells with us. (laughs) This is the manifest presence of God that's in view. Now, we know theologically God is omnipresent, right? And often, and even as I was reflecting on this text, I usually just default to omnipresence. Psalm 139, he is everywhere all the time. We know that. He is God. But God will at times manifest his presence to his people in a a way that they can feel, experience, know him. He promises that in this text. There's other texts. Just to look at a couple, John chapter 14, he's talking to his disciples and he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one 
who loves me, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other said, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Take up residence. Ephesians chapter 3, we're, uh, we're reminded, uh, or I'll start in verse, chapter 2, verse 22 says, And in him, in Christ, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives through his spirit. He's talking about the church. Hey guys, when we get together, this is, we are to be the dwelling place of, of the living God. His manifest presence made known as we gather. But then um, he, he has a, he gets sidetracked a little bit. He comes back in verse 14 of chapter 3, and he says, For this reason, because we have been made known, or uh, he has brought us together to be the dwelling of God, this is his prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Is he talking about salvation here? No, these are already believers. He's talking about the dwelling of Christ in our hearts through faith. To spirit-sealed believers, he says in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. What's he talking about there? It's the manifest presence of the living God. You say, well, what happens when God comes in and eats with us, dwells with us? It's a a picture of communion, of fellowship, of intimacy. Do weird things start happening? (laughs) Is it signs and wonders and and all these? No. And and you felt it if you're a a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've experienced this, and hopefully, I I pray today, we will have come in um, poor and we walk out rich in his presence. And what is it that we experience? It's limitless love. Ephesians chapter 3, you read the rest of that. It's, we are filled with the fullness of his love. We receive his love, but we're also filled with a love that we just want to give it out, and there's no end to it. It's joy inexpressible. First Peter, where, where we have this joy, even in the trials that we can't explain and we can't put words to, it's peace unexplainable. Philippians chapter 3, as we go to him in prayer and abide in him and we experience his presence he puts that peace that passes understanding around our hearts minds and it's power to live what did paul pray for the ephesians believers in ephesians chapter one that your eyes would be open to the power that's available to you or at work in you resurrection power of jesus christ so that when he comes in when we experience him and we rely solely on him we have a power to be free from sin a power to when we speak words to the people around us, we're speaking his words, words that build up and words that lift. We have power to, to um, the chains that hold us, the addictions that hold us, they start to fall. And we actually have power to help other people in their walk with Christ. And we can step into what he's called us to step into for his glory. You look to the Old Testament and you see Adam and Eve, they experience the omnipresence of God but they also experienced his manifest presence when he walked with them in the garden until sin disrupted their fellowship and they, they left. You picture uh, Moses and Israel and they experienced the omnipresence of God, certainly. 
But Moses prayed, Lord, unless you go with us, we don't want to go. And you say, what was he talking about? It was the manifest presence of, of God through the pillar of fire and smoke that would lead them. And so here today, we stand on holy ground. Our God is willing, desiring, and knocking to come in and dwell with us, to share life with us, intimate fellowship, communion, and to give us the joy of knowing him, walking with him. All we have to do is open the door. How do we open the door? We express our reliance, exclusive reliance, dependence on him. So that's the question today. Will you rely on him? Will you open the door to him? I love the, uh, when he comes in, when we experience his filling, his presence, everything changes, doesn't it? Isn't it awesome how life looks radically different? <laughs> and sometimes you have to kind of dim, the, dim it because other people around you would be like, dude, you are, what are you smoking? Um, <laughs> what are you on? It's like, no, I, I'm not smoking anything. I'm not on anything. I have been given a gift of gifts. And it's his presence. And he is my everything. Psalm 16, I love. It's a messianic psalm. It's Jesus speaking through David. But he says, Lord, apart from you, I have no good thing. And that's where he's inviting us to live through this text. And so that brings us to the next part of this message, which um, the final words of our Lord, to the one who wins this fight with self-reliance, to the one who repents, opens the door, relies exclusively on Christ. A reward is promised there in verse uh, 21. It's the reward that we get to reign with him. And it says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with the father on his throne. So I used to read this and think, number one, this is a future thing. This is when we get to heaven and we get to reign on a throne. I just don't get reigning on a throne. It just seems so ethereal. Two, I know it's not going to be me. Like, there's so many better people than me that are going to get to reign with Christ. So I just kind of ignored this. Digging into it this week and and through uh, what Nathan shared as well, I saw it. And beautiful reality. Does Christ come to have dinner with us or to dwell with us just so we can hang out and have dinner? No, he... He says, all right, now that we've eaten together, we're together. Let's go do my work together. Remember the call to make disciples. He has given us all authority. We, we have his authority as his followers. And so the kingdom of God is not just a future, but it's a already, not yet. There's aspects of the kingdom of God that will be, we won't know until we get to heaven, until he returns. But today he said, pray this, um, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when this idea of reigning with Christ is that place of thriving where we are doing what he's called us to do, advancing his kingdom, his work here on earth, where we're pushing back the darkness, evil, where it's a play in the world, we're actually um, bringing his kingdom to bear as we um, follow him. And this flows out of a radical self-reliance on him experiencing his presence and then we get to um, go with power so when you go into your day today or tomorrow this week it's not out of fear but it's hey i i 
Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 6 says, We are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. In a very real way through faith, we reign with him today. And this is the treasure, this is the gift, this is the, the confidence that we enjoy. And so back to that picture of a life being like a whitewater rafting trip. What's our biggest threat in those seasons of blessing? And it's just that, man, we, we would coast, that we would become complacent, that we would begin to rely on the gifts rather than the giver of all good gifts. And I don't know if you felt that, man, I should be so happy in this season. This is the best my life has ever been. And yet I'm anxious and um, stressed out about this, that, the other. I'm on edge. I'm frustrated. I thought when I reached this part of my life or this, I reached this goal, this, I thought it would all be good. <laughs> but right now I'm just... I'm miserable, actually. Why? And what a gift God has given us in his word as Jesus says, hey, um, you're lukewarm because there's a self-reliance. You begin to, you've begun to trust these good gifts. And he leads us to repentance, to open the door of our hearts to him, and to step back into the, the place of thriving. This week, while I was preparing this message, I felt an urgency just around us as a church family, where we are. And God has blessed us in a radical way um, as a church family. A season of, of uh, just, he's given us so much that we have to give to others and to bless. We're helping, I think, uh, around 14 other church planters in the world. We're helping Lebanon, a church in Lebanon launch. We're seeing God do change our hearts and lives here in our church family. And you just see his blessing and yet, in the midst of this blessing, I, I feel this threat that we would rely on ourselves versus him. And so today, just a, a call back to a radical dependence and self, uh, or a uh, repenting of self-reliance. And so it's fitting today that we come to this time of communion. And as we come to, to communion, it's uh, just a precious time that, that the Lord gave us to remember his love for us, what he did for us on the cross. It's also a time to check our hearts, and today I would invite you to check your heart with of uh, self-reliance, and then to just hear him knocking on the door of our hearts, and to welcome him in to, uh, to come, and, and just to, to be our everything. This is a, uh, as we come to communion, it's for those who know Christ, and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if you haven't trusted him as your Savior, the invitation, his invitation is open to you today, and we just invite you to trust him. You say, what's it mean to trust him as your Savior? This is where uh, we believe that he came, fully God, fully man, for one purpose, and that was to redeem us, to rescue us from our sin. Our sin is, is anything we've done to separate us from God, and it's understanding that there's nothing we can do to make our relationship with, with God right, and yet Christ lived the perfect life, died the death we deserve, and through faith in him, we can have forgiveness, but also uh, this life, uh, eternity-long eternity relationship with him. But as we uh, take the bread and the juice, I also, as I mentioned earlier, just invite you, and as Wes sings this song, to let this be a time of just to repent and to rely fully on him. And then I pray that it will be a time that he fills you up with his love, with his joy, with his peace, and with his power to do what he's called you to do.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to talk with someone about today's message, you can contact us through our website, westbridgedanville.com, and we'd love to help you take your next step in your walk with Jesus.